0: Reality Church is a church striving to be biblical. We pray that this sermon would help you in your personal walk. Be blessed. All right, so as you guys know, uh, we uh, are taking a summer vacation, so to speak, from Romans. Uh, We've actually moved into 1 John. Um, I did not do sheets this morning. Uh, we're going to see if you guys want to just take notes on your own. So, uh, I was talking with uh, Pastor Garrett about it and he was like, you know, you've really shown us how to format our notes. So I I think we can probably do it ourselves. I said, okay, well, we'll see. Uh, but I want to dig into this set of verses because I think this is, this is amazing. Uh an amazing set of verses and a powerful set of verses for us. Um, First, I want to start out with something Thomas Watson said in his book, The Doctrine of Repentance. He said, Repentance is a grace of God's Spirit whereby a sinner is inwardly humbled and visibly reformed. Repentance is a grace of God's Spirit whereby a sinner is inwardly humbled and visibly reformed. In today's text, John uh, is bringing out some great points about repentance, uh, yet we must take a journey with him to that point. He's taken us through some important things that we need to know to get us to that point of understanding repentance truly. But this... this, this set of texts is really extremely important to our daily lives as we walk with Him. So now hear, the infallible, inspired word of God, First John chapter one, verses five through nine. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him, from all unrighteousness. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word, that it is infallible, inerrant, and inspired by the Holy Spirit, that the 40-plus writers who wrote this book, this cohesive book over 1,500 years, all over the world, were speaking the very words that you had to say onto paper. God, we thank you for that. Help us to truly rely on the authority of Scripture and the inspiration of Scripture in our daily lives. God, we ask that you would remove the veil, that we may see you clearly revealed, your attributes and in your, in your glory. God, just be a light to our path, that we may see this travel, this, this journey that we need to walk on this morning through this Scripture. Sanctify us in your truth. Your word is truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. This is this is really, really a powerful set of verses, and, and there's so much biblical truth to unpack in these verses. Um, I want to start with verse five. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. This phrase, "God is light," is very important. Because God is not a light. He's not even the light. God is light. So scripture uses light representing several different things. First, one of the first things is is knowledge. In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, it says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of the darkness... Has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So we begin to see light as knowledge. Uh, the the theme of the uh, Reformation was post tenebras lux, which means after darkness, light. So what they these men in the Reformation believed they were doing was bringing the light of the knowledge of God back to the people. It is also, light is used to represent purity. Philippians 2.15 says, That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So the purity, the life that you live in holiness it shines because purity is a light. The next thing is prosperity. Uh-oh. I'm not going to preach the prosperity gospel to you, but I'm going to talk to you about how light and prosperity go hand in hand. Uh, Isaiah 45:7. I form light and create darkness. This is God himself speaking. I make well-being or prosperity and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. So we see as He is giving light, He is giving prosperity. Happiness is another thing that is light. Psalm 4, verses 6-7. through 7. There are many who say, Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of Your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. So the light of the Lord, His His light upon us brings happiness and joy into our lives, which is a wonderful thing. And light is also truth. Psalm 43, 3 says, Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill." And to your dwelling. So God's truth is light to us. It lights our way. Brings us back to him. Shows us the beauty of who he is. And that sparks joy in our hearts. Now the next phrase I think is interesting. No darkness at all. So God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If there is no darkness at all, that means there is not a negative thing whatsoever within God's framework, right? There is nothing sinful in God at all. Even if some believe that He broke the law for love. That's not true. He did not break the law. He fulfilled the law. We may look as people at His wrath at his anger or his vengeance and, and think that it seems dark right because for us when we're wrathful when we're anger angry and when we want to take vengeance in us that is a negative trait in many cases right it is so we may try and attribute darkness to god because he has wrath anger and vengeance the fact that That many will spend eternity in hell may seem harsh and unfair to us, but it isn't. You see, there is no sin or darkness within God in any way. No darkness at all. So listen to this. Even His wrath is good. We're going to get into it a little deeper here in a minute. Let's go to verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Let's look at that phrase. If we say we have fellowship with Him. If we say we have fellowship with Him. What is the key word there? Notice it says, say. That statement is for those who profess relationship with Christ. We know that there is only one way to fellowship with God and who is and, and, and what is that? Through Christ, right? Through repentance and trust in Christ. You can proclaim on the rooftops that you are in Christ and not be in Christ. Did you know that? I think we see that very clearly in our world today. But you must be born again, period. That's the only way to fellowship with God. So basically, the phrase is, if you claim to be in Christ, right? We can agree there. Well, how do we proclaim that? What do we say to proclaim That we are in fellowship with Christ. We say something very unpopular. I am a Christian. That's what we say. To proclaim that we have fellowship with God. That statement is coming out of less and less people's mouths these days. Can we agree with that? Even in the church, it's coming out less and less. Because it has some sort of stigma, right? Well, I think it's more often heard, and this is something that that we've talked about in Sunday school, I am spiritual. That's said more often than I am a Christian now. Even in the church. But, John links something very specific to this phrase. He says, if you claim to be in Christ, basically, while walking in darkness. Let's see what he's talking about here. First of all, let's be clear about that word darkness. Charles Haddon Spurgeon makes a great point on this in his commentary. One that we need to hear. This is not darkness of sorrow or darkness of doubts and fears that we may face because those are times that Christians will face. That's not walking in this darkness that he's talking about. This is talking about the great darkness. This is talking about the worst three-letter word you could ever say. Sin. That is what this great darkness is. So John, what he's really trying to do in here is he's trying to make a distinction before he goes on to his next points. So basically, what he's saying, and he's he's creating a very awesome distinction that really needs to be looked at in the church today, and even in our own hearts. If you say that you are a Christian and have fellowship with sin, Everything else we're going to talk about hinges upon this. If you say that you're a Christian and you have fellowship with sin, well, because everything else hinges on that, what does John say is true of you if that's the case? If you are a, say you are a Christian and you have fellowship with sin, he says this, first of all, this one's pretty clear. You are a liar. That's the first thing he says. He says, Basically, you're claiming the name of Christ and you aren't in Christ. That's a hard saying, right? Yes, but it's something we need to see. The second thing is, he says, you don't live in the truth, basically. You don't live in the truth. So here's where some would ask that all-important question. This this makes me think of being in a Ray Comfort video. What is truth? What is truth? You've heard the answers. Some would say truth is relative. Truth is relative to the situation, right? Truth changes based on whatever situation you're in. Some would say it's subjective. That means it depends on who's looking at it, what their idea of truth is. Some say that there is no such thing as truth. And many have started saying, Live your truth. I think if I want to learn about truth and know about truth, I think I would take Christ's definition of the truth over all others the God of the universe who walked this earth as he defined truth, that's how I need to define truth. How did he define it? John 17, 17. My favorite verse in the whole Bible. Sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. So John is saying here. That you don't live in the truth. And Christ defines truth as what God has said. Where do we see that? We see that contained in Scripture. So John is saying that those who live in sin and proclaim Christ are turning from God's Word and rejecting its authority. That's something we talked about this morning in Sunday school. That's the worldview we face many times when we walk out of this building. Do you accept the Word of God as the truth, as the authority, as you're in, as inspired by God and what we should live by. Romans 6, 1-4 through 4 says this. And I think this kind of settles the argument if, if we can say we're a Christian and have fellowship with sin. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into christ were baptized into his death we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father we too might walk in newness of life people who are walking in newness of life are not continuing living in sin now let's make a distinction Really quick before we go any further. Does this mean that because you're a Christian, you never sin? No. But we don't fellowship with it. We don't live in it. And we're going to get even further into that as we go. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. We walk in the light as he is in the light. I can't hear that phrase without thinking about the old DC Talk song, In the Light. Is it going on in your head? Some of you don't even know who DC Talk is. That's okay. First, let's establish something. It says that we walk in the light as he is in the light. He being Christ Does this mean I have got to be exactly like Christ for God to accept me? You ready for the answer? First, let's establish something. We will not and cannot do this perfectly on the earth. We can. We will never be exactly like Christ as we walk this earth. We won't. We do, however, strive to be like him. So, if we are to walk in the light as he is in the light, what it's saying is that we walk in the same manner as Christ. We walk in the same manner. Okay? And do you want to see how Christ walked on this earth? There's a simple place to turn the Bible. Christ walked in a very specific way on this earth. First let me take you to John 6:38. John 6:38. This is God the Son speaking. He says, "For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me." So Christ lived to do God's will. And secondly, let's look at Matthew 5.17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So he came and he walked on this earth to fulfill the law and the prophets. So what does this mean for us? Because we're not God the Son, Right. We aren't the object of all of the Old Testament prophecies. There are some about us, especially the Abraham, the promises of Abraham. And we're never going to fulfill the law perfectly. So what does it mean for us? It means that we live to serve God and to love His Word. That what God desires is the goal of our lives. And we believe what He has said. We don't need somebody telling us what God is saying in this hour because God has said all He's going to say right here through His Word. Now, if we walk in this way, there are some specific results and they're pretty good results. The first is That we have fellowship with one another. You see. Something that's missing from the modern world. Is this understanding. That we are a part of a universal brotherhood. Of those who are in Christ. Think about this. Right now. In a place like Zambia, where Christians are being jerked out of churches and murdered. We are their brothers and sisters because of Christ. We were saved by the same gospel. And think about it right now in China, as they're right now hiding, trying to meet Underground, because the government regulates them and tries to keep them from meeting. Right now, as those brothers and sisters are underground, hidden, they are preaching the same gospel that we are preaching here. We are in a universal brotherhood of saints who are in Christ. That is the church, the big C church. We are his bride. And that is something to be greatly desired. That is also why church membership is only for those who have been born again. I know that's a hard saying in our modern day because we want to welcome everybody in and make them members. Well, before we make members, we need to make disciples the Great Commission says to make disciples, not make members. That's why we require in this church, if you are going to be a member of our church, you must be born again. That's part of it. Those that, that are not in Christ don't have place in that fellowship. So what we do is, is we, we do this. You know, I know it's unpopular, but see, the church is for the sheep. Sharing of the gospel is to change hearts and call the goats to repentance. And that's what we'll do. I pray that if anybody ever comes in here who is not in Christ, that because they hear the gospel, they may be cut to the heart and repent and trust in Christ and be baptized. And then guess what we're going to do? We're going to work them towards membership. Why? Because they need the fellowship. That is how it's supposed to work. We don't fill our church with people and then hope that they're all saved. We bring people in And we disciple them. We lead them to the only place that's going to help them. That is Christ. That being said, those who have repented and trusted in Christ and are in him should be part of the fellowship of the local church. I love our little local church. I love you people. You are some of my favorite people in the whole world. I'd rather fellowship with you than anybody else. Ask me who my best friends are. I could point in any direction in this this building and you'll, you'll see one of my best friends. That's just how it is. That's the fellowship I want. So I want fellowship with good, solid believers. And I find that through the local church. The second benefit of walking as he walks in the light is this. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now that is not saying, because some people would mix it up, That's not saying you've got to clean up before you're saved. That's not saying that you have to be living a holy life as a requirement for the blood of Christ to work and cleanse you. Because that is getting the cart before the horse. That's wrong. That's not how he's talking about it here. What he's saying is it's those that are truly cleansed by the blood that will be able to live this way. This kind of life is proof of Christ's work in the life of the believer. We seek Christ's cleansing blood daily. And we're going to dig into this even more shortly about a life of repentance. Now some reject this way of life. They don't think that daily repentance is necessary for the believer. We're going to get into that. Verse 8. If we say we have no sin. If we say we have no sin, in verse 8 is how it begins. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So if we say we have no sin. First, let's have a little bit of hermeneutics. I know what you're thinking. But Todd Friel has already made that video, Herman who? Hermeneutics is looking at this verse in all of its context. Let's look at the historical context here, okay? Who is John's audience? Who is he writing this to? That's important for us to know. Because he has just told them, if you say you have no sin, who is he writing it to? Well, later on in this book, he addresses people that he's talking to as... My little children. No, he wasn't a kid's church pastor. He is talking about these people that he taught the word of God to. These people that were brand new in Christ that he taught them the word. These are Christians that he's addressing. Not people who aren't in Christ. It becomes even more clear throughout the rest of this book. That he is talking to Christians. I think we'd probably take a lot of things more seriously if we saw the context that it was written in. In light of this, we need to address the false teachings that reject what John is teaching here. I told you guys in Sunday school I was going to get to this. There are two false teachings that we need to address. The first, sinless perfectionism. Some believe that they have achieved a level of sanctification so high that they never sin. Many charismatics and some in the NAR believe and teach this. Believe, I've got it so good, I'm so sanctified, I don't even sin anymore. Then you got one that I had to make up a word for sin rejectionism. Some believe that there's no need for repentance in the believer because they are saved. They think God overlooks their sin because of His grace. They think His grace means that we don't consider anything we do sin. It's all okay because we're under grace. And therefore, we don't sin and never need repentance. Let me go into a side note. I'm going to take you on a bunny trail for a second. Sinless perfectionism is the height of arrogance in the Christian world. To think that you have attained the highest level so that you are just like Jesus Christ is ridiculous. And the people who think that sometimes think that us who believe, hey, I'm a wretched sinner. I need to repent daily. They think that we're the arrogant ones, which is weird because we're not the ones saying we don't sin anymore, right? Let me go on this next money trail. Sin rejectionism is something that I I made up the words for. And why can I do that? Why can I make up the words for it? Because I taught it for about three or four years. And I lived it. For about seven or eight. That's why I can make up the word for it. That everything's good because I'm under grace, not under law. I don't have to follow the law. I don't have to do anything. I can do whatever I want to do. Say whatever I want to say. Ingest whatever I want to ingest. I can do anything I want to do because I'm in Christ and I am under God's grace. God's grace covers a multitude of sins. Yes, it does. It covered it by killing... His son, that's how it covered it, And we need to take it more seriously. Now these are two very unbiblical teachings. I'll put my soapbox away now. These are two very unbiblical teachings in our day. But listen, they've existed since the beginning of the church. This is something that had to be addressed at the beginning of the church. We see that because John's having to write about it. John addresses it clearly and strongly in the rest of, this, rest of this verse, what does he say about those who say that they have no sin? He says, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Basically, if you say you don't sin and therefore have no need of repentance, you are an unbiblical liar. That's what he's saying. I didn't write it. I'm just going over it, okay? So let's address it truthfully. Why would we want to avoid daily repentance as a Christian? And I got, uh, I got a little wife input on this one. She was going the same direction as me, so that was good. The first, I think, is pride. We think we're good, therefore we don't need it. I can, I can talk about this because this is where I've been. I'm not sinning all the time, so I don't need to repent daily. That's one reason, pride. The next is ignorance. We haven't been taught about repentance and don't understand that we need it. Those who aren't under sound biblical teaching and never search the Scripture for themselves, they will fall under this category of of ignorance. Some people don't know that they need to repent daily. They don't know that they sin daily, therefore they need repentance with Christ. They need to be cleansed by His blood daily. And some, there's a misunderstanding Some just don't understand what repentance is. They may think that they just ask for forgiveness and are good, and repentance requires so much more than that. So, is repentance a negative thing? Let's look at verse 9. I think it'll tell us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There are a few elements of this verse that we need to see clearly. The first is if we confess our sins. Now, this is a key element of repentance. Confession. That's a key element. Repentance is more than just asking forgiveness. Now, I'm going to give you kind of a little breakdown. And there's much more to it, but this is kind of a little breakdown. This is what repentance is, okay? First, we have sorrow for sin. We're sorry that we did it. It makes us feel guilty. Then we begin to hate it. We hate sin. We don't want it in our lives. We don't want to be associated with it. And then we turn from it. But we can't just turn from it in the way that sometimes it's taught. Well, you just gotta stop doing it. Don't do the things that'll lead you to it, right? Those are probably that's probably good advice if you if you should turn cut off your internet, cut off your internet. You know, if you need to put a filter on your phone, put a filter on your phone, absolutely. But we turn from it and not to our own effort. We turn from it and turn to God through Christ. And then we confess our particular sins. That's a key phrase particular sins. I have to repent a lot of times for anger, a lot of times I have to repent for laziness, slothfulness. I need to repent of those particular things. And let me say this clearly. Lord, forgive me is not a set of magic words, okay? It's not just, I do something wrong. Oh, Lord, forgive me. It's not a magic word that clears the the history, right? It's not the, the erase button on what has happened. We must confess our sins. Forgiveness is part of it. But he wants us to confess to him. And that can seem scary. Or hard. Or even embarrassing. But it isn't. Look at the result. He f- forgives us our sins. And cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And forgiving our sins... He shows us that He has taken the sin debt and satisfied it completely on the cross. Our sin is forgiven because Christ took our sin and took the punishment for our sin. It is absolutely more than we can think in placing it under the, 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 what we understand as forgiveness. He completely sets us free from a debt to the punishment for our sins. In cleansing us, he is washing us with the blood of Christ. What does this do in us? I love what John Calvin says. He says, it renews and reforms us. Sin has so many negative effects on the heart of a Christian. If you've been in unrepentant sin and sin that you've struggled with, you know that. You know what it does to your heart. Through repentance, God washes the heart clean of that awful stain. And it truly makes us feel brand new. What awesome effects of repentance. Now, why can this happen for us? Well, simply because He is faithful and just. God is faithful. He is faithful to His nature. He is a holy God. He is faithful to His covenant promises in Scripture. What He says He will do, He will do it. Period. It will be accomplished. And we see this faithfulness clearly in His promise to redeem us. In Jeremiah 31 verse 34. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know Me, from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. That is a joyful thought. And God promised this and he's faithful to it through Christ. Now God is just. God does justice for us. and how does God do justice? Very simply, we see justice done on the cross. Sin requires a just punishment from a holy God. And on the cross, Christ took our sin and therefore had to endure full wrath and punishment for that sin. So now when we repent, He forgives and cleanses us because Christ took the punishment and He is a just God. Therefore, He's not going to punish you for something that He punished Christ for. That's his justice. He punished Christ so he can forgive us. And I think we can clearly see the beauty and joy in repentance. So how can we apply the the great truths that we have just learned from John? How can we apply this to our daily lives? Well, I think first, we view God as he is according to scripture. That's the first thing we need to do. We need to view God according to how He is. He, you see, here's the thing. He is a good God by His very nature. All He does is good because as God, He gets to define what's good. To change Him to fit our ideas of what He should be is the height of idolatry. We're making a different God that's not the God of the Bible. Secondly, live in the Spirit. This is not what the Charismatics say. It is. Living in the Spirit is living in the light. Living a biblical life. Living a life of sanctification. Sanctification. So we want to live in the Spirit. Thirdly, a way that we can apply this is to have fellowship with one another. We need other believers. We need our church and our friends in our church. And we need friendships with other like-minded believers as well. I've got two really good friends outside of this church. Who are like-minded believers. And they have been a huge encouragement to me. And I hope that I am to them as well. Number four. Don't deceive yourself. Don't deceive yourself. Know that you are sinful. Know that perfection is not something you will ever attain on this earth. And understand that. And accept that. Why? Why? Because understanding that you are sinful and you will never be perfect will constantly point you towards your need for Christ. It points you towards the need for a mediator. And number five, live a life of repentance. Repentance is not bad, it's not negative. How it ever got turned to be preached in some pulpits as a negative thing, I will never know. Repentance is not bad. It does not go against God's grace. As Watson said in the quote in the beginning, repentance is a grace. We are given the gift of repentance that we can be forgiven for these sins. We can be cleansed from our unrighteousness. It's an act of cleansing for us and helps us to conform to Christ even more. It frees our hearts. And truly, it is beautiful. I want to pray for you. God, we thank you so much for your word, the power of it, the joy we find in it, the peace that passes all understanding that comes through Christ and the Holy Spirit in our lives. God, we honor you and thank you for your love and your mercy in our lives that we know that without you we have nothing. We can't have nothing and we will never have anything worthy without Christ in our lives. God, we thank you. God, help us to apply these things to our lives, to to see you as you are, God. To know that you are good and whatsoever you will is whatsoever should come to pass in our lives. Help us to live by the Spirit. A life of sanctification always. Sensitive to what you're being shown. To the things that he is showing us in Scripture. God, help us to love fellowship with one another. Our church, our friends. Help us to pray for them. And help us to seek to spend even more time with them and and have wonderful conversations about your grace with them. Help us not to be deceived, God. Help us to know that we are sinful. That we need you more than we need our next breath. That without Christ, we have no hope. God, help us to always see the hope that is available in Christ. And Lord, most of all, help us to live a life of repentance where when we sin, we fall short of the glory of God. God, that we would Repent. Trust in Christ all over again. See His hope and glory in our lives. God, as He shed forth His blood for us, we know that He can cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, we pray for those who are not in Christ, God. Those who may hear this and don't know who Christ even is, God, that they may be cut to the heart. That they may desire to see the truth of the Word of God, the Gospel. God, that they may have a new heart given by the Holy Spirit, faith to be saved, and they may repent and trust in Christ for the salvation of their souls. Sinner, run to Christ and trust in Him, for He is your only hope. God, we thank you. Bless each family here. We give you honor and praise. In Christ's name.